Let me ask you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> We're going to get to our 2 Corinthians chapter uh, in our message but we're going to first give a little bit of context that also relates to what we are, are doing today. So uh, we are going to read first from uh, 1 Corinthians, which was to this same church, uh, particularly instructions pertaining to the Lord's Supper. I think you will very quickly see the connection So let's stand for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, uh, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Let's bow together. Lord, you have instructed your church, you have challenged your church in ages past, and you have seen fit to preserve those instructions and challenges for the church of 2020. Nothing that's going on in this world is a surprise to you. We thank you for that. We're we're glad for that. And it's with that confidence that we come to you and we ask that you would teach us from your word, that you would enable us even to be fed by you on your word before we feed on your sacrament. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you have just heard what you hear basically every time we serve the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11. And this is what typically we will call the words of institution, the institution of the Supper of our Lord as given to us by the Apostle Paul. And it's appropriate that we read them each time. There are, as we always say, there are warnings in there along with invitation. There are cautions. 
but the, the warning is, is a, a stern one about eating and drinking judgment upon ourself. And then the application of that is, so we ought to examine ourselves. <clears throat> we need to discern the body of the Lord to know him and to be walking, as it were, with him in obedience by his strength. So now we move forward to uh, Second Corinthians, and we are coming down to the end of uh, this book. We've got one more week in Second Corinthians. And here he's speaking to that same church, not in the context of, of communion, but in, in the context of, of their behavior as a church. And so we're going to walk through uh, this passage, and so we're now in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you, first of all, uh, to notice Paul's concern for the potential problems in the church. I think you'll see why I say potential problems. He's got concerns. He says, verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. He's saying, you know, both of us, our expectations may not be what, what we think, but then he expresses what his concern is that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Now, as I just read to you uh, that, that list of uh, sins that are his concern that may be in existence there, whether he had heard they are there or, or uh, whether he was just concerned they would be, some of you might have been thinking to yourself, well, man, that, that's a messed up church. That Corinthian church, they, they must really be messed up if he's concerned that, that they're guilty of any of these, much less this big list. Well, if you thought that or anything like that, I want to I give you just for a moment a reality check. Uh, from the time I was ordained back in 1980, uh, until now, I've served in four churches, and I served churches before that during college and, and seminary. And I can tell you that I have seen every single one of these, most of them multiple times in churches that I have served. Now, some of you may be saying, well, you've served some pretty bad churches then, it, it sounds like. And that's the reality check part of it. No, what they had in common is they all had people in them. <laughs> that was the issue. 
the churches I served, uh, we loved very much and still do to this day, including, uh, and I'm including this one in the list of churches that I have served. And each of them, by the standards of uh, how we look at churches, would be considered healthy churches. And yet, even healthy churches, even the redeemed, deal with these issues. And the Apostle Paul knew it, and he was calling them on it prior to his uh, return to, to visit them again. He was being realistic. These are problems that are common to the human race because even the redeemed still sin. And we will till either we go home to be with the Lord or Jesus comes back. But we ought not to be satisfied with that. And that should never be an excuse. Well, I'm just human. And that's what humans do. Never. And he doesn't accept that. Now, I've broken down the things that he's saying into four categories. And it's, I'll just tell you right up front, it's, those are artificial categories. They overlap. I've, I've, they, they're not necessarily in order. I've just tried to put them into general groupings so we can see the kinds of things. There probably could have been as many categories as there are words here. Um, or various ways to, to uh, break it down. But first of all, uh, let, let's look at what, what I would call problems of attitude. <clears throat> Paul mentions jealousy and conceit. Now that word jealousy, uh, you may remember that just a few weeks ago, we heard in a, a message about divine, God's divine jealousy. And it was actually a good thing and a, and a beautiful thing pertaining to, uh, for his people. This jealousy is not a good thing. It is a, it is a human uh, jealousy. It is a bitter envy of others. It's sinful. And then he uses the word conceit. That's an, an arrogance or a pride that, that someone can have and, and literally means to be puffed up in, in front of uh, others. And neither of these are positive things or even acceptable things within the church, within the body of Christ. And then there are things he lists that, that I would call interpersonal problems or, or uh, relationship problems. He talks, uh, he used the word, and by the way, that, that's in the English Standard Version that I'm using. Some of your versions may have different words that also will help us understand the, uh, what these mean. Uh, one word he uses is quarreling. Uh, and what that would be is, is strife among people that causes uh, factions and divisions as opposed to bringing people together and uh, helping with unity. And then he uses the word anger. Um, that's the word that's used here is not just feeling anger and controlling it. I mean, that, that can be sinful even if we don't let it out. But this is feeling anger and then having an outburst 
of anger with others in the church is what he's saying. Hostility, again, that has to do with rivalries among people in the church. And disorder has to do with a a disruption of the ministries within the church. Actions that disrupt rather than forward the mission of the church. So we have uh, problems of attitude and interpersonal problems. And then he talks about what I would call problems of the tongue. Problems of the tongue. And Paul specifically mentions slander and gossip. And you might say, oh, come on. Get it with those other things, but how serious can, can, can those things be, slander and gossip? Well, let me share with you from James chapter 3, verse 5. He says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. What's that bring to mind? Well, what, what we see out west, and it doesn't even matter how those fires uh, began or how they were set or anything like that, they were set by something small. And we have seen the devastation that that spark has caused out there. This is how James describes it. Verse 6, James 3. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. How serious is it? That's how serious it is. Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So what he's saying is that they weren't acknowledging God, and God let them go the way they wanted to go. And here's what happened. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife. Some of these words are the same words he's using with with Corinth. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. How serious is it? It's in the same list with murder. Nobody questions whether murder is serious. And that's what he's cautioning them against. And then there's another category, and that would be sexual sins. Verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, that I may uh, have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier, have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. God made us male and female. He also 
gave us specific contexts for sexual relations which are neither impure nor immoral. In fact, in his context, they are beautiful to him, the creator. It is in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. That's the order of creation. We read that in Genesis, and that has not changed. So that's the context. Anything outside of that would be in the category that he just mentioned as impure, immoral, and sensual. Sensual meaning flesh-driven, and it's something to be repented of. So what is repentance? Well, if you... You take the sin that one is involved with. Uh, for real repentance, and there are all levels of repentance, it should grow deeper and deeper. But it is recognizing that as a sin. It is grieving over it, hating it, and then seeking forgiveness for participating in that sin, for sinning. And then it is turning from it, turning your back on it, and endeavoring to continue on away from it. Not kind of peeking back, wanting to go back to it as soon as I feel forgiven. But it's, it's moving ahead in the other direction. That is biblical repentance. Not continuing in it. So let's look at Paul's way of dealing with those problems. First of all, why, why does he even deal with them? After all, isn't, isn't that a person's personal business? That's what our world would say. You know, let me do my thing. I mean, I'm, I'm in church. I believe all that stuff. But, but when I'm out here, this is my personal life. That's none of your business. Well, Here's the reason that just can't be among real believers. First of all, if one is a believer, they're in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is connected. Just like our bodies, any of you that, that have ever uh, kicked your toe on the bed in the middle of the night, you know that that it affects the whole body or, or hammered your thumb when you're trying to drive a nail or something that seems small, a toothache that, that can affect our whole body. Well, those are just illustrations. But Paul uses those as illustrations. So when we are a part of the body, when we unite with the body of Christ, everything we do doesn't just affect me, it affects all of us. That's what the nature of being a body is. That's the nature of the church. But further, there have been times when this accusation is made. The church is full of hypocrites. Now, some of you like the answer, uh, to answer that by saying, well, come on, there's room for one more. 
And that's fine. You can start, you can lead with that, but then don't, don't leave it there. You've got to challenge the, the premise that the church is full of hypocrites. We would say, yes, there are hypocrites in the church, and all hypocrisy is sin, but not all sin is hypocrisy. So here's, here's what happens. If, if a church says, we believe God's word, but when it comes to sin, they ignore sin in themselves, or they deny it, or they refuse to deal with it on an individual level or on a church level, then someone outside of the church has every right to say, that's a hypocritical church. But if we acknowledge, yes, we, we ought not to be sinning. We believe God's word. We ought not to be sinning. And when we do sin, we seek to repent of that sin. And we seek to deal with it on a personal level and as a church. That's why dealing with sin is so critical. And Paul fully understood that. Look at how he dealt with it. Uh, Paul made repeated attempts to deal with them. Look at chapter 13. He says this. This is the third time, verse 1, I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others and I warned them now while absent. Let's look at one, two. And I did when present on my second visit. That's another attempt. And if I come again, I will not spare them. So where do you get that? Well, he got it because he listened to what Jesus said about how to deal with sin. Over in Matthew 18, verse 15 Jesus said this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's attempt number one. And, and in, in a healthy church with healthy relationships, that's where most church discipline should begin and end. Just dealing with it on a personal level. It never going beyond that. The brother repents. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's what Paul just said. Step two. So you take others with you to show, look, brother, this really is serious. We really need to deal with this. So you don't give up on one attempt and then just write them off. But you continue on out of love for them. And then... Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that means basically in the words of that day, put him out of the church at that point. But it's only after all of those attempts. So, so this is for the glory of God. It's for the purity of his church and it's to restore the sinner. And Paul was doing what Jesus said by making multiple attempts. 
he, Jesus gives three steps or attempts if there's no repentance. So he made repeated attempts, but, but look what else. Uh, in verse 2, again, at the end, he followed through. If I come again, I will not spare them. He's saying, look, we've made all these attempts, but this is pretty much it. If I find them having ignored all those attempts. Most of us, all of us, I guess, have witnessed how unhealthy it is for a child when their parent says to them, now don't do that, don't do that, don't, 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 you know, and they draw a line, don't step over this line, I mean, not literally, but don't step over this line, and so every child will then step, put their toe over the line, and if the parent then moves the line, I really mean it this time, and then we know what happens. They lose respect for the parent. They begin not to even believe them, but they will keep pushing and pushing those boundaries. And we know how unhealthy that is. He's saying we mustn't be that way as a church. So how can these things be prevented? It is healthy for a church when its members are living lives of rightful self-examination. Now, that doesn't mean just always dwelling on yourself all the time, not just thinking about yourself, but being self-aware to the degree that when we sin, we will be sensitive to it and we will deal with it. Look how Paul says that, verse 5, chapter 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So let me give you an analytical question. When I gave that big list at the very beginning that Paul said, I'm, I'm concerned about finding these things when I come, and I listed those things, and we began to explain them. Uh, who were you thinking of? Were you thinking, you know, kind of looking around and saying, oh, good, so-and-so's here. <laughs> they really need that. <laughs> or... I sure hope they're watching online because, you know, this is, this, is, this is for them. Or were you saying, oh, Lord, there I am again. <laughs> that, that is me. Whether it's you or not, Paul would say, look deep. Self-examine. Consider those by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask him to make you sensitive to our own sin and enabled to deal with that through repentance and then experience forgiveness. And that's what that brings us to the table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So if today you are not in the Lord, uh, I am so glad you're here. But if, if you uh, did what Paul said and you failed to meet the test of knowing that Christ is in you, I hope you'll keep coming. But there is a caution against making a mockery of this table of what Jesus did on the cross. And so when the elders come, just let the elements pass by you. No one here is to judge you. It's, it's only between you and the Lord. Let them pass by, but don't let it stop there. Speak with me or one of the pastors or someone from this church so that then, later on, you will meet this test of knowing that Jesus Christ is in you. Or if you're dealing with a sin and you said, yep, that's me and, and I'm, I feel real bad about that, but I'm sure not repenting. I'm not ready to, to leave it behind. I'm looking over my shoulder at it longingly and I'll be back. You know if that's describing you. If it is, then you're not ready to take the supper today. But if you're ready to really repent, to turn from it, taking this supper can strengthen you, can enable one by the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ in us to deal with those things. And so let's pray together. Lord, will you, will you help us as we come to this table to be able to, to not come in conceit saying, yes, I, I deserve to be here, but instead saying nothing in my hands I bring, only to the, clo- the cross I cling, knowing that outside of Jesus, without Jesus, We're not invited, and we have no hope. But in Jesus, we can experience forgiveness and restoration. Thank you that for your people, whatever is going on in our lives at this table, there is peace with God. We thank you for that. And now we pray that you would take these elements from their common everyday use and use them by the power of your spirit to feed us, to strengthen us because we are weak and to draw us nearer to you. Lord, we would ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.